Welcome to the Journey Ahead podcast, Aging Well in the Chippewa Valley. I'm Tom from Volume 1, which presents this podcast in partnership with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County, with support from our sponsors, Grace Home Respiratory and All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Here's your host, Lisa Wells. Resiliency can play an important role in healthy aging, and studies focusing on the potential health comes of having high resilience suggests that high resilience later in life can help older adults to achieve improved quality of life, better mental health, and overall self-perceived successful aging, despite the adversities they may face. So joining us today to discuss this topic is Ted Bowman, who is an author and educator who specializes in grief and loss, resiliency promotion, and honest hope. I love that. So thank you for joining us today, Ted. Wonderful to be with you. Thank Thank you for asking. You bet. So I think nearly everyone suffers a negative life event at some points in their life, not even negative, but some type of a difficult um, event at some point in their life, and and people respond to them differently. And I think I can think of a lot of my own. And, you know, some people grow stronger, learn from their experience, and move on. Others may develop anxiety, depression, other disorders, substance abuse, etc., So I'm really interested in learning more about this topic and what we can do to become more resilient as we get older. So, you know, resiliency is one of those terms that that gets used and maybe even perhaps overused. So what is your definition and, you know, how how do you use it in your work? Yeah, that's a good place to start because it is a commonly used term and probably has many meanings for whoever hears it. But it has to do with um, adaptive coping. Uh, when disruptive changes uh, occur in our lives. Uh, So it's that ability on the part of an individual or a family, even an organization or a community, to uh, uh, deal with that, to uh, perhaps bring back, rebound, successfully adapt to the adversity. But it's also the ability to spring forward. We're dealing with that now Mm -hmm. with uh, the pandemic, that Mm -hmm. we will not return to normal because our lives have been informed by what's happened during the pandemic and how do we bring forward, take the best that we had uh, uh, during the pandemic uh, to adapt it for a post-pandemic period. And so it's drawing on our ordinary resources to uh, help us cope. And so that's, that's the basic definition. And so I use it in my work also to, to say that uh, we all do better when we all do better. So mm. often if I'm doing an in-person group or even a virtual group, Uh, I'll have people to turn to one another and say, thank you for being here. Uh, Bob Badinga at the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota said years ago that those who get through a tragedy point at least to one person who stood by them, supported them, and gave them a sense of hope. Mm -hmm. That's resiliency, to have someone in your corner. And it can be a companion animal. It also can be a companion human Mm -hmm. uh, or a group of humans uh, who are there for you and that you, you may not tap into them, Uh, every day or even routinely, but to know that they're there. That's what we uh, think of as perceived support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it can be difficult, though, too, when, you you know, you mentioned having somebody in your corner, you know, if if somebody doesn't have that, you know, um, people that live alone, um, not everybody has pets. So that can be, that can be really difficult. It is. Uh, And uh, so one of the ways that we try to help uh, anyone, uh, knowing that we all are different. Uh, Some people are more introverted, some people more extroverted. 
stuff like those you're saying have limited people in their lives. Uh, so one of the aspects of resiliency may be to help uh, support and coach that person who is a bit isolated or cut off mm-hmm. uh, to uh, ask for help, uh, to be willing to receive help. Uh, uh, an elder care lawyer uh, come to a caregiver group that I do, and she startles people often in the first five minutes of her uh, presentation uh, to say, do you know who's on your team? Mm-hmm. And they are startled because they haven't heard the team word and didn't know that was part of of caregiving. But she says uh, that if you lack some skills, uh, let's call them, uh, for example, financial skills or cooking skills or driving skills or fix-it skills or or whatever might be part of the caregiving, uh, if you're not able to do that, then we need to have other people who can aid us in doing that. Mm -hmm. So it's... Uh, accessing some of those kinds of resources, breaking the isolation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If the if the isolated person has some means, and, and not all do, let's be honest about that. Uh, some people even call these paid friends that we buy some services if we're not able. But it's trying to access whatever uh, is the absence of our skill set, our absence of support that we have. How can we access that? Either by by payment. Uh, by volunteers or by asking for help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so can anybody be anybody be resilient? I mean, is this something that's you know you can you be trained or um, you know if somebody just how would how would somebody become more resilient? Well, oh, I'm glad you asked that because. Uh, 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 there is a myth out there, that's your uh, earlier question, even about the, the definition, that I think lots of people have the notion that there are resilient people, and then there are others who are not resilient. Yes, I've, I've definitely heard of that, yep. Mm-hmm. yep. And that's far from the truth. And so because of that myth, it's that we think these are extraordinary people, these resilient ones. And yes, there are some extraordinary stories of people who did amazing, amazing things in the face of an adversity, but that's uh, uh, that's that's not the norm. That's uh, that's not uh, the typical. Uh, for most caregivers, uh, for for people even living with a medical or mental health condition or with any kind of a challenge in their life, it's the day to day requirements of resiliency mm-hmm. that are key. And so, uh, it's just aiding people to not know to to, to not feel like a should. To not shame themselves, mm-hmm. to not put down themselves because they, quote, are not coping well that day. We all have our bad days. Mm-hmm. We all have our challenging days. And so it's aiding uh, people to uh, discover the gold mine they have even inside them. Uh, uh, a way that I do that is it relates to uh, aging uh, services. Uh, Robert Butler years ago talked about life review, mm-hmm. that as we get older, we become nostalgic, we reminisce. And a formal way of doing that is what he called life review. Well, part of the purpose of life review and looking back over the the 50 years, the 60 years, the 80 years, even the 90 years of life is not nostalgic and reminiscence, but finding out what aided you in coping with earlier life experiences that, yes, you might have to adapt it now because of your age, Mm -hmm. because of your circumstances, but were there things that you did or that others did with you or for you? that helped you to get over a hurdle, mm-hmm. helped you to get over an earlier uh, rough patch. And so that's what we mean, that people have 
experiences of, of resiliency inside them in their own memory bank if they can access that. Mm-hmm. And to go back and think about that. I know I, my mother-in-law, is, <clears throat> she's 93, she'll be 94 here coming up, and you know she often talks about and she went through the the Great Depression, and she went through yeah. um, the Dust Bowl, and you know she'll share some of those things of what she went through. You know, living on a farm in in south southeast Nebraska, where you know they limited food because of the of the Dust Bowl, and, and just she when she starts talking about these things, she's she's crying, and uh-huh. I'm just <clears throat> amazed sometimes at how all the things that she's gone through and. That she's made it, you know, she's made it through, and you know, when, when other things come, it's almost like she's she's a little stronger because of the things that she's has gone through in the past. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And what can we, if we are the uh, our younger set, what can we learn from some of these stories of our our older relatives and friends? Uh, uh, when uh, my mom dad uh, died after dad had died three years earlier. We found in their house, uh, uh, oh gosh, how many? Uh, 40 cardboard boxes because they were children of the Depression and they thought mm-hmm. they'd just keep those because you might need it someday. Mm-hmm. We also found uh, birthday or, or uh, uh, gifts that uh, my brothers and I had given to them that were still uh, not unwrapped, uh, still wrapped, that was. Uh, uh, and not because they didn't appreciate it, uh, not a, it wasn't something that didn't fit them, but they were of the school that as long as you have a good sweater, you don't need to put, uh, break out the new one. Wait mm-hmm. till the other one falls mm-hmm. apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we might laugh at that, smile at that, my brothers and I did, but what does that mean in terms of really valuing some of the things that we now have in our lives and use them a bit longer, what we today would call even recycling or reusing repurposing in some way to learn from some of that wisdom of the past instead of saying, well, well, times have changed. Oh, just move on. Well, how can that, it's what I said earlier, how can something that was useful at an earlier time be adapted Mm -hmm. for the present time? Mm -hmm. Right, right. I want to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors, All Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Mobility challenges don't have to mean leaving the home that you love. All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions specializes in residential and commercial elevators, stairlifts, scooters, and more. The All-Star team offers a free home assessment, and they can help you find the products you need to get around your home and the rest of the world safely and effectively. For example, they have more than 100 scooters in stock, so you'll be sure to find one that meets your needs. You'll find All-Star right here in the Chippewa Valley on Halley Road in Chippewa Falls, and they've got locations in Hudson and La Crosse, too. Learn more by calling All Star at 715-598-7511 or by visiting allstarmobilityllc.com or allstarelevatorllc.com. Now, back to the podcast. So <clears throat> resiliency is, is a fairly new concept in the field of geriatrics or, you know, gerontology, older, or older adults, because studies were often related to children, correct? Um, yeah. And then, right. so so does resiliency capacity de- decrease or can it increase with age? Yeah, well, some uh, scholars use two different terms, partly because, uh, as you uh, alluded to, a lot of the early research on resiliency were done on child studies uh, following children and 
uh, cohort in the same family or in a similar kind of uh, neighborhood uh, uh, and following them over time. Uh, uh, one of the early studies was done in several communities in Hawaii, for example. And so they, uh, that was uh, how we began to learn about these resilient ones. And a term that began to be used uh, even in casual conversation was about hardy elders. So resiliency of children and hardiness of elders or, or older people. And so it's a similar kind of, of term. But yes, uh, uh, my uh, mention earlier of life review is a way in which uh, people of an older cohort can be resilient, perhaps even more resilient, because they may have more examples in mm-hmm. their own mm-hmm. lives that help them to be hardy or, or resilient. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that uh, the reason for a caregiver group, one of the reasons for some of the series that you have done so well uh, in your work is what we would call support groups or support sessions so that we begin to hear how others are coping with something similar and hope that in the midst of a meeting, whether it's a virtual meeting or an in-person meeting, uh, that someone says, oh, hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that might be possible so mm-hmm. that we learn from each other and that we can learn throughout our lives. Right. So uh, that can happen in our 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, you mentioned support groups and just the importance of knowing that you're not alone, um, that there are other people out there oftentimes, you know, dealing with and going through some of the same things that that you are going through. So just even knowing that, you know, whatever it is, that, that, you're, that you're not alone. Right. That's that isolation piece. If there is mm-hmm. that someone's in our corner, we often uh, will do better. And so it's just even the perception uh, uh, my wife uh, died last year, about a year ago, and someone helped me uh, uh, four months, five months after she died, and and I was struggling with some of the words uh, that are applied to me, that I'm a widower, mm-hmm. or that I'm le- leading a solo life, and even the word that I was now single instead of being married, uh, and all the, the kind of adjustings that go on after mm-hmm. the death of someone will uh, a friend helped me enormously reframe that. He said, Ted, uh, you have never been single. And I said, what, what, what are you talking about? He said, well, you've always had a collection of people in your life. And anybody who has a collection of people in their lives is never single. They're part of a, co- a larger collective. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. collective doesn't mean size, the, that you, the more the better. Uh, it can even just to have one or two other people that you know that you can lean on, call on, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and talk with. Uh, one of the tools that I use in my work is, apart from the living ones, uh, the humans and the companion animals, is uh, there are amazing uh, memoirs of resiliency uh, dealing with medical and mental health conditions. And so to read some accounts of someone who is coping well, uh, may inform your own story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right. So, you know, what what's the best and worst connotations for resiliency, and, and how can the concept be misused? Well, one of the worst I mentioned earlier is when it's felt like a should or uh, uh, that we have to reach a certain kind of expectation, uh, a certain bar in order to uh, for it to fit to be resilient. Uh, Resiliency comes and goes. Uh, uh, I, I didn't mention that when we were talking about the definitions that 
uh, few of us are resilient to everything. And so to know uh, what our skill set is, what our comfort levels are, and the things that we can be resilient uh, and coping with uh, can be helpful. And then to t- call on our team for some of those mm-hmm. pieces that are where we're not resilient and to be willing to, to ask for help. Uh, if we put it all on our shoulders, uh, it's going to be hard for anyone where our, our resiliency is going to get over-tested and, and overwhelmed. Uh, but if we know those things that, uh, that we are capable of doing and have some confidence in that, and hopefully we have other people in our, our uh, circle who can applaud us or mm-hmm. to say, I'm amazed that you're patient. I'm amazed that you're persistent. You're wonderful about asking for help when you need it. And to get that reinforced that you do those things well, uh, but then also to call on uh, other resources uh, along the way. It's a bit of a serenity prayer. Mm-hmm. What can I control? What can I not? What can I do? What can I, I cannot? Mm-hmm. And how do I begin to address it? I know one of the, um, you talk about things you can control, and I think one of the best things I ever did, I was at a presentation one time, and in, uh, the, pre- the presenter talked about brain dumping. Have you ever heard of that before? Yes, and it's been common also in the pandemic, that people are getting just full, and uh, uh, I think that we call that a brain overload, uh, mm-hmm. so much stuff, but but tell me the definition that you were thinking of. Well, the brain dumping is where, you know, you, you, you on a sheet of paper, just write down all the things that you're worried about, everything that's happening that you're concerned about. So, you, you know, so I you know, write a whole bunch of things down. These are all the things I'm worried about. And then um, cross off all the things that you have control over. And, you okay. know, so as I did that, I realized, oh, my goodness, there was like maybe one thing that was left that I that I actually had control over. So it was more sure. about letting go of all yeah. those things that you you don't have control over, and to let just to let it go because worrying isn't going to help. Right, right. What reminds me of um, Parker Palmer has a lovely new book, or it's a year old or a couple years old now on aging. It is on aging, on the brink of everything, mm-hmm. and he says age brings diminishments. But more than a few come with benefits. I've lost the capacity for multitasking, but I've just rediscovered the joy of doing one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. My thinking has slowed a bit, but experience has made it deeper and richer. I'm done. I'm done with big and complex projects, but more aware of the loveliness of simple things. I talk with a friend. I walk in the woods. Sunrises, sunsets, a night of good sleep. So he's adjusting, given some of the the, the, uh, the things that have been altered as he has become older. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really changing your perspective. Yeah. And so it's that list making of what's negotiable, what's non-negotiable, what do I have control over? Uh, and even if this is a part of a important to-do list, do I have to do that one today? Or is that something that I hope to do this week? Mm-hmm. Mm. So we're going to take a, a quick break here. And when we come back, Ted, I'd like to talk about grief, grieving well, and and is that resiliency. So we'll take a quick break and come back and talk about that. Thank you. Okay. We'll get back to the podcast in a minute, but first I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Grace Home Respiratory. We're excited to have their support for the podcast because just like us, they're locally owned and operated. If you or someone you care about needs medical equipment or supplies, 
wheelchairs, walkers, hospital beds, portable oxygen concentrators, even CPAPs and BiPAPs. Grace Home Respiratory is right there to help. They're committed to helping you live a life of independence. They realize that shopping for the specialty medical products you need can be a challenge, which is why being locally owned and operated is key. They do everything in-house from their location right in Altoona. So if you have a question about billing or anything else, you know you'll be talking to someone from just down the road. Find out more about Grace Home Respiratory online at ghr-ec.com, or you can call them toll-free at 877-230-1622. Now, back to the podcast. So welcome back. We have Ted Bowman with us today, and we're talking about resiliency in later life. And and, and let's talk about you know grief, because I know that you're a grief educator. So are there ways to grieve well, and is that resiliency? Yes, I'm, I'm glad you're discussing that because uh, one of the struggles that lots of people have, uh, not only with coping with these things of our lives, but if there are losses in the midst of that, uh, and not only losses related to death, but uh, um, losing adult conversations if your, your mate happens to have dementia, losing mobility if someone's living with Parkinson's, losing some sense of your own dignity and self-respect. Uh, the grieving is there, and so that exacerbates the care receiving as well as the, the caregiving. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the models that uh, we've learned from, and this is based on research over time, is that uh, back in the day, uh, it was thought that grieving was something that might be a bit short-lived or uh, perhaps a bit longer, but over time, someone should get over it and move on. Mm-hmm. And what we've learned is that grieving can be forever. And that's a hard one for some of you to hear. Uh, but Anna Quinlan says that 20 years after the event, 40 years after the event, you may have the continual presence of an absence, that you will be missing someone or missing uh, a breast that was removed uh, because of cancer, missing the childhood home, missing uh, whatever it might be. And mm-hmm. so the grieving goes on. And so what we've learned about grieving is that it's a, a dual, at best, it's a dual process that we do need in terms of resiliency, times and places and venues and people with whom to do some of the grieving. So it's those visits to the cemetery, uh, it's rehabilitation, it's uh, the anniversaries of certain of the major events that are associated with losses, uh, uh, on and on, that we need ways to do that part. But we also need the dual processes, need times, places, venues, and people with whom to do what we might call restoration, respite, uh, a change of scenery, uh, to do other things. Uh, here's the way that Nell Nodding uh, puts it. She says that joy as a seemingly uh, quality in our world can invade us even in pains and periods mm-hmm. of pain and periods of deep grief. It does not seem to be the case that joy and grief can occur simultaneously, but they can occur alternately. That is, the pervasive emotion may be grief or stress or being overwhelmed or scared, uh, but joy can slip in momentarily. And so I may still feel and see joy there in the world, even when I'm having despair and, and sorrow. And so that's the dual process, the ability to, uh, to uh, oscillate between times of grieving and times of joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, again, a, a personal example I used earlier is that uh, my wife died, and I miss her greatly, and I have you know, times of real deep grief, uh, uh, and especially as I'm coming up on the first anniversary. 
but also celebrate and have deep joy that I had 41 years with her mm-hmm. and that we had a rich and, and a wonderful life uh, together. And so here's a, a little poem that I wrote to try to help me to do the, the dual process because it's still a challenge, even though I, I know of this in my work. I will color this time with more than a black armband, a past marker of death. I will reach for brilliant, bold, bright colors and beiges and blues and blush. I yearn for an array of color similar to the rainbow of flowers set so soon after her death, reminding me of the colorful life that we shared and that I can still have. Mm. Mm. That's so good. So there's the grief. There's the mm-hmm. grief and the joy. Mm-hmm. That's the dual process. Mm-hmm. And you've you've written some other. You do have some other books of poems or other books as well? Some of the writing I've done, yes. Uh, some include poetry and prose. Uh, some that I'm perhaps best known for are around shattered dreams in people's lives, the pictures that we had inside of the way that our life was supposed to be that shattered or robbed or uh, adjusted because of disruptive changes of many kinds. And and it relates to this dual process that we have to grieve the shattered dream in order to uh, uh, create a new dream, mm-hmm. an adaptive dream. Uh, if we still are carrying with us inside a picture of a body that can do most anything, uh, because we were able to do that at an earlier time, but now we are living with Parkinson's or mm-hmm. living with dementia or living with a depression or whatever, I have to grieve the shattered dream in order then to create a new picture that I put inside mm-hmm. of myself still being lovable and capable, all this with these conditions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so you... that's the hope, that's the honest hope that we you were even saying at the outset, that the honest hope can happen even in the midst of living with something that's quite tough. Right, right. So talking about joy and grief alternatively, something that I hear a lot from, because I work with family caregivers, and I'm just thinking of myself, I think when people in the midst of grief or, or grieving, when they do, if there is, if there are periods of joy or happiness, that there's guilt because they are having uh-huh. some, some, some joy. Right? I mean, it, I hear that a lot, and, and I know that's kind of off topic, but maybe we can talk a little bit about that, maybe that guilt yeah, that's uh, where uh, hopefully in a support group or you with this podcast, uh, our conversation, or in some ways that someone says, uh, 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 tries to turn that around and say, uh, no, 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 no. For you to do well uh, means that if you can laugh a bit, if you can smile a bit, if you can have a good time, it's probably good for your soul, for your spirit, for your body, which means then that you can bring your better self to your loved mm-hmm. one rather than your depleted self. Mm -hmm. Because when people begin to sort of beat up on themselves or feel guilt or think that they shouldn't have had such a good time last night, then that even that has its own wear and tear. And if not careful, they're going to bring some of that wear and tear and that that guilt and and that uh, uh, kind of attitude uh, to their care receiver Mm -hmm. uh, when they come home or in the next room or uh, when they uh, have their next interaction. Mm-hmm. So that's that dual process, that we need times of refreshment for ourselves so that we bring our better selves to those around us. Mm-hmm. 
including ourselves. Mm -hmm. So well said. Yes. Yes. So what about some some, a little bit tougher situations here? Um, For example, if somebody has lost some abilities, especially cognitive, you know, is, is resiliency still possible? It is. Uh, uh, Of course, any of these are are much more challenging. If someone's always been an active uh, use of of their body, moving, 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 doing, going, doing things. Uh, My mom not only had some dementia, but in in the midst of her dementia, in the last uh, two to three years of her life, she had a left side stroke. And while I don't know fully because of her dementia, I think in some ways losing mobility and the ease of moving around was harder for her than was the dementia. And so it's to, for those of us who are care receivers or family members or are working uh, in uh, care with older persons, it's to meet people where they are and to try to tap into whatever uh, abilities they do have and help them to adapt to those. Uh, uh, the, the recent example that's been a bit in the news was the, uh, the woman uh, uh, whose husband was uh, 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 far into his dementia, and she would come to be with him in the elder care facility. And one day he asked if uh, she would marry him. And rather than scolding uh, mm-hmm. him or, or arguing with him, she said, oh, gosh, that's wonderful. Sure, I will. Mm-hmm. And so they had a, you may know the story, they had a second wedding. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they got someone to officiate. And so instead of, uh, uh, getting uh, too sad about uh, the other person's loss of memory or didn't even know that we were married, uh, kind of meet them where they are and to try to uh, uh, help him and her enjoy the moment. And so they even got another party out of it because they had a second wedding. Right, right. Yep, yep. Yeah, I've, I've, I saw that and, I, and I've heard of others like that as well. Yes. But when are, yeah. when are expectations too much to strive for? That's where we need to have the feedback uh, from others who we trust, mm-hmm. uh, who are part of our lives. Uh, an example I use in the caregiver group is that if adult children who live uh, away, uh, let's call it Iowa or Colorado, uh, come home for whatever reason, and let's assume it's not a crisis, but are coming home for a summer holiday or for a birthday or something like that, that the, the caregiver will... Uh, encourage and, and ask them to take cognizance of things, uh, ways in which either the care receiver or the caregiver have changed since you were last here. And to have a discreet conversation so that uh, getting good, honest feedback from someone who sees it from the outside. Mm-hmm. Because we can be hard on ourselves or expect too much or uh, do some of the, the kinds of things that uh causes more weight on our shoulders mm-hmm. and and then getting that feedback then to see what choices are there for you know, getting some uh, uh, home health or getting some support for uh, certain uh, activities uh, one of the caregivers uh, uh, her husband had dementia and but he was a walker he was a mover and so she talked in our church with uh, two or three of the men who knew of her husband and they agreed to sign up uh, once or twice a week to go and walk with her man. Mm-hmm. And it gave her some respite, mm-hmm. gave her some time alone, and also but just got him outside and doing things that he enjoyed doing. So it's that kind of trying to find ways in which if you are 
having a tough time and overwhelmed, what are some ways to access that circle of care? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, this this topic, I, I I feel like we could keep keep going on for, for a while, but if somebody was seeking more information or was looking for some resources, is there anything that you would recommend? And, you know, books, um, maybe websites, um, places to reach out to. Well, I mentioned earlier there are uh, what some uh, and the literature is called medical memoirs that are stories of people living uh, either with early onset uh, dementia, mm-hmm. for example, or with medical conditions. So some of those can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, the support groups where you get other role models. Uh, you begin to hear other ways of coping. And if it's not possible to attend uh, a support group, is there a member of that support group that would be willing to, uh, quote, take some notes, and it may only be mental notes, uh, memory, and come and sit with you and share uh, suggestions of things that she or he's learning in that support group? Oh, that's a great uh, idea. Even though, you, mm-hmm. even though you cannot attend. So mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, enlarging so that we have more choice. Uh, in fact, one of the definitions of resiliency are if uh, people have what they perceive as limited choices, people are, are more likely to be resilient if they have more choices. Mm-hmm. Then it's not just if my plan A doesn't work, then I get overwhelmed, but that I also might have a plan B or a plan C. Uh, so those are there. Uh, I mentioned earlier the, the self-care of the caregiver, and so another way that is kind of a diversion it's on that respite side of the dual process is what are some things that renew your spirit that you need to be sure that you do routinely? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so if Mother Nature is important to you, that you get outside uh, now and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, if music is important to you, that you have music in your life that lifts your spirit, is it your faith? Uh, uh, what might it be? Uh, and so to uh, know those things that are important that you do. Uh, again, a, a woman in the caregiver group knew that if she didn't go swimming at least once a week, she was not going to be good for her husband, who was her care receiver. Mm-hmm. And so the self-care, so that we're not always getting overwhelmed with our worries, but are taking some moments off, some respite, to do body care, to do our own uh, spiritual work, uh, to get outside, so that we come back refreshed and can look at the hard stuff once again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know you. I've, I've heard you talked before and I, I and one thing I, I remember you talking about was having a healing plan and that's kind of what you you know what the what the yeah. self-care the importance of doing that and I just like that word you know the healing plan that just sounds so good um, and and helpful yes and even well part of the healing plan I think you even mentioned it earlier story you were sharing is uh, to perhaps even have a place in your house where you can put some of your burdens over here Mm-hmm. lay them down, knowing that they're not going to go away, but you don't need to be attentive to those that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you can attend to some others. And so to even have a ritual, that's uh, what we call a ritual, uh, helping us to cope, to say, oh, I don't want to be even thinking about that today, so I'm going to put this over on the shelf, mm-hmm. knowing that I'll uh, be attentive to that to another day. Mm-hmm. And if you need to write it down, it's similar to your list of what things can I do today and here's my list, but I'm going to leave that for another day. Mm-hmm. Another one I heard from somebody, uh, they use a timer. Well, yes. in, you know, maybe it's 
15 minutes. And so for 15 minutes, they're going to worry about that thing or, or whatever. And then the, once that, that, you know, that, that timer goes off, then they're done, you know, so maybe right. having a plan right. and that's getting back it, to that ritual. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Some people even schedule it to know that, okay, at 11 o'clock each day, I'm going to scream. I'm going to scream <laughs> for 10 minutes mm-hmm. and then I'm done. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, whatever works, you know, what, if it, whatever works for you, um, certainly. Yes, and and I'm, I'm laughing, and it sounds like you might be a little bit as well. Uh, we haven't talked about that, but the importance of humor in your life, mm, if you can access mm-hmm. that, to have some of that wonderful humor that uh, lifts our spirit. Yes, so important, especially just now, you know, with, with last year with the pandemic and, and everything that's, that's, that's gone on. And so that's, that's so important as well. Well, Ted, as we finish up, are there any last words you'd like to like to say to our folks that will be listening to the podcast? Well, it's just wonderful to have a conversation with you, Lisa. Uh, I think uh, I've mentioned a number of things, and I hope that might be the bottom line that people listen to, that, that resiliency is not just one or two things, but it's a whole uh, show full. It's a whole list of things that are possible for us and the more that people can be flexible and adaptable and widen their circle of things that help them to cope the more resilient they're going to be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and we can become more resilient yes well, indeed mm-hmm. so thank you so much ted for this information and for um having this conversation this important conversation with folks thank you so much thank you for asking This is Tom from Volume 1. Thanks again to Lisa and to her guest. And thanks to you for joining us for the Journey Ahead podcast, Aging Well in the Chippewa Valley. Volume 1 presents this podcast in partnership with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County. And it's all made possible by Grace Home Respiratory and All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Learn more about this and our other podcasts at volume1.org.